you dream of a classroom where learning is natural? Can we inspire students to lifelong learning? What exactly is the purpose of an education? Inspiring students to be curious, independent, creative, innovative, deep thinking, confident, proactive, collaborative, determined, educated. Rise to the challenge of changing the world. This is teaching. This is learning. This is who we are. Welcome to the Tabletop Inventing Podcast. Can shop class make kids better at math? What thinking skills are learned in a shop class? And how exactly does a professional kayaker become a math teacher? Join us for the interesting plot twists in today's podcast. I was living in Davis and we were going on a kayaking trip and we were all, you know, I don't know, we were probably packing up at six, seven o'clock at night at somebody's house. And my buddy, who was a teacher at the time, we're packing this trip up and this kid rides by on a bicycle and he's like, oh, Mr. Perry, Mr. Perry. And this kid just had this sparkle in his eye and he's riding his bike up to a buddy of mine. And I just realized the impact that my my friend had on this kid's life. And it was just a, a, a quick moment in time that I realized that this teacher, I mean, really changed people's lives for the better. Welcome to the Tabletop Inventing Podcast. We took a much-needed one-week break from the show last week, but we're back at it this week with a power-packed show. Today, we're tackling the topic of shop class from a very compelling angle. Over the last 10 years, shop classes such as woodworking, auto shop, welding, and other hands-on classes have disappeared from almost every school in America. With the university focused toward intellectual property, engineering, and cutting-edge science, high schools just stopped teaching these classes. But at what cost? The overwhelming feedback we keep getting on this podcast from successful professionals is the need for hands-on training and hands-on experience. Yet in school, where else do kids get hands-on training if not from shop class? Robotics, some say, or engineering classes, others say. My experience is that those particular classes have a, a very scripted curriculum and that very little original thinking occurs in them. However, in shop class, students are forced to grapple with the reality that they drilled the hole too big or that the part is just a little bit too short. These errors or incorrect assumptions teach lessons in a way that no scripted curriculum can. Failure is one of the best teachers we have, but we've become afraid to let it into the classroom. Today's guest, however, Jonathan Schwartz, is no stranger to shop class or to inventing, and ironically, is also a math teacher at his high school. You'll be shocked about what he says about shop classes versus his math classes as far as thinking skills, but I'm not letting the cat out of the bag just yet. You'll have to listen in for the answers. My guest today is Jonathan Schwartz. Jonathan spent about six years kayaking around the world in his former life, and he says that he, when he was looking for jobs back east, that he only applied to schools that were near rivers that he liked. Uh, he's passionate about inventing and making things, and he says, though, that his favorite thing is his family. He's got uh, kids in second 
and seventh and ninth grade. So, Jonathan, tell us a little bit about that kayak thing. What was that about? Uh, I started whitewater rafting in college and just fell in love with it, loved being outside and got kayaked and rafted all over California and then throughout the U.S. And then wanted to keep doing it in our off-season. So I started by traveling New Zealand and Australia, getting jobs there, working for rafting companies. And I enjoyed it so much, I just kept going for the next six years. So as soon as I'd run out of money, I'd get another job with a different raft company in the Northern Hemisphere for our summers and the Southern Hemisphere for our winters. So uh, how many different continents have you kayaked on? Uh, I think probably on every continent except for the Arctic's. Never been to Antarctic or the Arctic's. Is there kayaking there? I don't know the answer to that. I, I don't know either, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even sure. I think one of them is a continent, but I'm not sure about the other one. I can't remember which one's which. Uh, have you been on the Amazon River? I have been on the Amazon. Actually, in South America, I've worked in Chile, in Costa Rica, Peru. I spent a couple seasons in Peru. And then, actually, last term, last spring spring term of school I took a sabbatical and my family and I traveled down to Chile for six months and we spent uh, a lot of that time in southern Chile and Patagonia on the Fudalafu River so where I had worked 20 years prior. Wow so when you were applying for schools was that before or after the kayaking trip? Uh, That was after after the kayaking trip I I had gone to Harvard to get a master's in math education. And at the time, I mean, I liked teaching a lot, but it seemed like the best job to be able to kayak. But then once I started teaching, I realized that, in fact, that was my passion even more so than kayaking. So what was it that caught your attention in teaching? Like, that's a pretty big shift to go from kayaking around the world to wanting to teach in a classroom. So what was it that caught your attention? Why, why was that so exciting for you? I mean, a lot of the kayaking and rafting I did was teaching classes, and that was kind of the introduction into teaching. But you really don't build a relationship teaching kayaking or, or especially in rafting. You know, most of the rafting trips are one-day trips. But in the classroom, after I taught for a year, well, number one, I, I feel like when I'm teaching, every day I have an opportunity to make the world better. Whether I do or not, you know, debatable, but every day I'm given that opportunity. And I don't know too many other jobs where you're given that opportunity. So I think that's maybe why I fell in love with teaching. Oh, that's a powerful perspective. Well, I want to go back to something else you said, because you didn't say like English or business. You said math education. Have you always liked math? How did you end up in math education? Actually, in high school, I never liked math, but I've always liked the application of math. I've always liked making things. I've always liked figuring things out. And I realized that math is probably the most important tool to be able to figure stuff out. So I don't know if I've ever really fallen in love with math, but I've definitely fallen in love with what I can do with math. That's an interesting perspective. I should probably like tip my cards a little bit on this because... I mean, my degree is in physics, and I would have to say that I liked math from a very early age. I always loved math. Um, But when I got into college, I found out pretty quickly that there were certain things about math that I liked and certain things about math that I didn't like. And if you've done math education, you probably had to do uh, differential equations. And what I never did like was differential equations and partial differential equations, which is weird because my my Ph.D. is actually in nonlinear optics. And that's all based around a big partial differential equation. (laughs) But I love like discrete math, like 
Fermat's last theorem and all of those esoteric things that mere mortals think that us, you know, weirdo math people think about all the time. Uh, those are the things I really liked. And then I liked the very applied stuff. Like I liked the engineering. I just, I didn't like differential equations for some reason. But so I'm curious is, are there bits and pieces of math that you like more than others? I would say I didn't really like differentials for the sake of calculus, but I really like taking business classes and figuring out where profits maximized. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, I guess I've always really liked what you can do with it, but not the math for the sake of the math. Math for the sake of the math. I guess I'm in between a little bit. I Some math I like for the sake of math, but when I'm doing something hands-on, it's usually like, what's the quickest thing I can do to get to the answer and then go make whatever I need to make? So I understand that piece of it because I'm like that right. as well. Well, I think, you know, as I've been teaching math for years now, the other piece I love the most in a math classroom, besides kids seeing the application of math, is when a kid, you know, I just see a light bulb pop up above a kid's head and he's able to make all of these connections that he, you know he's taken all of these previous math classes and been told well you you'll see a reason for this and i love it when all of it comes together and it, it makes sense why we did this in algebra one why we did this in geometry and now we're in trigonometry and it all really comes together nicely so i, I maybe that's my favorite part of math is to see kids putting all of these complex pieces together yeah, no, I, I would have to agree with that. So you, you also mentioned before we got started about inventing and products a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your inventing career because it sounds like there's some things in there. I have a lot of products that I've invented. The majority of them have all been complete flops and failures. And usually it's an inverse relationship to how much I like it versus <laughs> how successful it is. Uh, but one of my favorite products, or one a very successful product, is called the Top Saw Chainsaw Tool. And it's a universal tool that'll work on any brand of chainsaw. And it's been really successful. And the tool itself is kind of designed around a problem-solving strategy. So if you have a, any sort of outdoor power equipment from a chainsaw to a lawnmower, the way, if it's not working, the way you solve it is you check spark. And then if you have a spark, then you check airflow and fuel through this kind of systematic process. And the tool itself called the top saw is designed around that process. So it has all of the pieces to pull out a spark plug, all of the pieces to check air filter and fuel. So it's a small tool, really a tremendous learning opportunity, both designing it and manufacturing it. Wow. I didn't know that existed. And does it work on a Husqvarna? Yeah, it works on every brand of saw. Uh, really? That, yeah. Now I'm going to have to go look for it. I've Every now and then when you're out in the woods, I mean, that's exactly when you don't have all your tools, right? You're out in the middle of the woods and your saw quits. And, you know, then what do you do? No, that's exactly right. You got a coffee can full of tools <laughs> specific to that saw in your truck, but you never have them with you. That's interesting. Well, tell us about one that you really liked that was a flop. Um, I think maybe the first tool, that's such a long list of flops. It's hard to figure <laughs> out the worst flop or the best flop. Uh, well, one is a Mighty Miter, which is a chainsaw attachment as well. So you could cut miter cuts and compound cuts with your chainsaw. So you can make accurate cuts. And I liked it, but there definitely were some inherent flaws in the tool. So is that for like doing like home milling or something? Uh, see, for me, I use a chainsaw for cutting down trees and putting wood in the fireplace. I don't really use chainsaws for like carving bears or milling, but I know I've seen stuff out. So what is the Mighty Miter about? 
So it, it bolts onto your, your bar so you could have a fixed angle and, and set any angles you want. And it's really for any place where you don't have a generator for an electric saw. So primarily used for fencing or kind of rural decking. So, you know, like if you're building a cabin way out in the middle of nowhere with no electric saws, a lot of people, well, not a lot, very few people <laughs> actually use a chainsaw for their carpentry. <laughs> Is that, is that what you discovered? Yeah. yeah that was part of the flop. So, so you didn't run the differential equation on the business piece of that one, evidently. No, no. I didn't do very much homework on that one. We'll just go with this for a little bit. What, what is it that gets you moving on a new product or a new idea? What is, where does that inspiration typically come from? Because you mentioned chainsaws twice, actually. Yeah, so I've worked with chainsaws my whole life. And I just love the chainsaw, just the versatility of it. But where it all starts is trying to solve a problem, like seeing a very clear issue and trying to solve a problem. So just like you said, you're out in the woods. The only time your saw ever breaks is the furthest distance possible from your truck. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's kind of where the top saw came from. Um, the other products I've worked on are a lot of fraction games and teaching fractions. And, and really, you know, in class, whether it's a high-level math class or a woodshop class or a pre-engineering class, the biggest issue kids seem to have is really learning fractions. So I've spent a tremendous amount of time trying to teach fractions to develop an intuitive sense how to work with fractions. So I guess to answer your question, the idea comes from really seeing a problem and solving that problem. I, I would say that's where most of my ideas come from. I don't, I don't know that I've tried to productize very many of my ideas, a couple of them maybe, and mostly I have flops as well. But I was thinking about this. We've been talking now for a while, and I, I've never asked you where you work and what you do there. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, where you work and what you do there and what you're passionate about right now in education. So I teach in, in a very rural Northern California town. I teach high school uh, near the North Fork of the American River. It's a beautiful small town, absolutely fantastic community. It's uh, the best of the modern world and best of small town America. And, and I love my job. I've always taught math, but in addition to teaching math, I teach a pre-engineering curriculum. And um, it started out as a woodshop, and I've taught woodshop drafting. And now I've kind of combined all of those skills into my pre-engineering classes. And those pre-engineering classes, I really think, you know, is some of the best math you could learn because there's no math in the curriculum. It's what you need to solve problems. So the kids come ask me, you know, how am I going to figure out this problem? And it's a great inroad into learning math. So, you know, the majority of the things we do is pretty large-scale projects. You sketch them in your notebook first. Then you design them in a CAD software, and then you build them using both traditional woodshop tools and then also some of the fantastic new technologies of manufacturing today from CNC routers to laser cutters and a 3D printer. So how did you end up teaching the engineering? Was that something you just approached someone and said, hey, I think we need to do this? Or someone said, hey, we, have, you know, we need to do this engineering thing? How did that come about? So I've always taught math at Colfax High, and then maybe seven or ten years into my math teaching career, um, the woodshop teacher was going to retire, and they were not going to replace the program. So I, you know, I argued really strongly that you know woodshop was essential. We can't lose that shop space, and then that 
so I talked myself into that job. Um, so I took over the wood shop and I taught wood shop for a couple of years. And I, I love wood shop. I love working with this traditional. Tool. I mean, I love woodworking with just um, hand tools even. And then a few years after that, the drafting teacher is going to retire. I argued you couldn't have woodworking without drafting. So that talked me into that. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm trying to teach drafting at woodshop and all of it. And then I just combined it all into an engineering curriculum. It sounds like you made a lot of work for yourself, but it sounds like it was work that you enjoyed. Oh, I love it. I love it. I couldn't be happier doing anything else. I mean, basically, I come to work and me and a bunch of kids just design and build stuff all day. And uh, if I wasn't working, that's what I'd be doing too. So I, I couldn't be more pleased with what I'm doing now. Well, that's a that's an excellent place to be. Uh, I'd like to actually rewind quite a bit, though, because we, we started your story at the point at which you were kayak, kayaking around the world. But we don't know how you got to that point. You, you alluded to the fact that you didn't like math early on. So I'd like to back up maybe to elementary, middle, high school. Tell us a little bit about your experience as a student uh, in those years and what kind of led you into this path, if there were any early indications or if they were anti-indicated. It's not that I dislike math. I just kind of, I mean, in elementary school, I was good enough at it, but I just kind of saw it as all of these disjointed kind of little bits and pieces. You had to jump through the hoops to, to do well in a class and maybe even in high school math, you know, I think as well, I was, you know, I, I was good at it, but I didn't really see the point of it. I do, I do remember in middle school very clearly that I would cut all of my classes and hang out in the wood shop. And at the, t- <laughs> <laughs> and at the time, I thought, oh, I was so smart because none of my teachers ever marked me down as a cut. But now that I'm a teacher, I realize they're just so happy to have me out of their class. They pretended that it wasn't a cut because the woodshop teacher would put up with me. So, I mean, in those woodshop classes, I really saw point and meaning and inspiration in all the skills we learned. In math class, I mean, I liked it and I, I could solve problems, but I didn't really understand how it all fit together. And then later in college when I was taking classes that required math it, it kind of clicked and I saw all of this use of math I guess that's kind of maybe where where I really started liking it a lot more so other than that shop teacher were there any other teachers in your learning career that kind of sticks out to you as a teacher that pulled you toward teaching or was like one of those teachers that you say wow I got to teach so that uh, we don't end up with people like that yeah, I, I think everybody is inspired by some teachers. That woodshop teacher was a giant inspiration. And another, which was just a flash, a, a moment in time, which is very vivid in my mind, is I was living in Davis, and we were going on a kayaking trip. And we were all, you know, I don't know, we were probably packing up at 6, 7 o'clock at night at somebody's house. And my buddy, who was a teacher at the time, we're packing this trip up and this kid rides behind a bicycle and he's like, oh, Mr. Perry, Mr. Perry. And this kid just had this sparkle in his eye and he's riding his bike up to a buddy of mine. And I just realized the impact that my my friend had on this kid's life. And it was just a, a, a quick moment in time. But I realized that this teacher, I mean, really changed people's lives for the better. So do you have experiences like that now? Like, could you point to students in your 
experience as a as a teacher that stick out in your mind as those kids that have that spark? Uh, I think all kids have that spark. And I think it just takes a lot of different personalities to bring that spark out. I mean, there's a lot of students who are doing cool things today, you know, that I might have had a very small little piece of inspiring, I would say. Is that the driving force? Is that that spark that you see? Are there other things in teaching that you really like? I I love to see any student just excited about anything. You know, it, it doesn't matter if it's woodworking or math or riding horses or skiing. I just love to see enthused and excited kids. I don't know if that answers it. I I think it does. So have you tracked any of your students through time? Do you have students come back? Like, have you been teaching long enough to have them come back and say, wow, that was really cool, you know, what you did in that one class? Yeah, I have a lot of kids come back. Uh, I have a student coming to visit this Friday who left our Colfax and went on to Stanford in engineering and a master's in engineering and is at Google now. That's fantastic to have them come back. Most of them usually say, oh my God, you remember that crazy story you told? It's usually not, <laughs> it's usually not about math. It's a random thing. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, so th- this is just me like thinking out loud. I'm curious if there's any correlation between the students that come back and they find the impact and the specific classes that you teach, like, do you have more coming back, you know, on the engineering type classes, on the math type classes? Have you noticed any differences there? You know, the problem with the math class is for some reason you believe you have all this curriculum you have to cover and you, you really have to work inside of pretty tight constraints. But in those pre-engineering classes or in actually all elective classes, you have such freedom to do whatever you want, to stop and talk to kids for 20 minutes if they want to talk, or really go off on all these crazy, fun tangents. So I, I think you definitely have a lot more opportunities in any sort of elective class. But a lot of the kids who are in my math class usually end up taking those engineering classes as well. Well, that's really interesting. I I actually wish I had had a good engineering teacher. I took wood shop and I learned to weld you know, work on cars, things like that, because I the, the high school I went to had all those things. And I, I always enjoyed building things. So that was a, just second nature to me. I, I knew I was going to do that. But tell us a little bit about, maybe you'll have to speculate a little bit, because I know you're on the inside of a system where you've managed to sh- save your shop, even though it's not a shop class. It's sort of like a shop class. Tell us your perspective about education and why that's important. Well, no, that's a good question. Well, I think being able to do things with your hands is essential. I think a lot of the academic connections that you make, you're able to make those connections because of actually doing something with it. And I I think really all shop classes kind of provide that. You know, my, my kids are in school. My oldest just started high school. And I think about, you know, what skill sets do I want them to leave with? And, and there's, Two things. I want them to have a very distinctive skill set. I want them to be able to CNC program. I want them to be able to build stuff and fix stuff. I feel like those are invaluable skills that they'll use their whole lives. But then I also want them to be able to perform at university and you know solve academic problems as well. And I think balancing those two things are really important. And I think the combination between shop classes and academic classes, a good balance of both of those is probably the best education you can get. I mean, that's what I believe. And maybe this is a hard question to answer, you know, because maybe the data is a little bit fuzzy, but is there some sort of a relationship between those two types of problem solving, sort of the typical academic 
thinking in your head, solving problems versus out on the shop bench, you know, putting something together, solving problems. Oh, no, I think they're very related, but I think they've never been put together. I mean, I think people have always felt like they're two separate things rather than the two intertwined things that they are. They're very similar. I think solving problems in math and shop, you know, those skill sets for problem solving are almost identical. And this is a little bit of a, maybe not the best analogy, but my, my wife's Spanish is really good. She studied Spanish in college and grammatically it's, it's and my spanish is really bad but when we were living in chile last year if something had to get sorted out i would do it in, in my spanish because i don't really care i just jump in and i just try and communicate so i make a lot of mistakes but the people i'm speaking with are happy to work with me until i'm understood my wife on the other hand really wants to make sure all of her tenses and everything are correct and i point that out as i think it's actually also my philosophy in the shop and the math classroom that i don't really know if i don't know how to solve a problem i don't worry about whether i have the right tools or not i just kind of jump in and and try and solve it and and maybe it's kind of long and cumbersome but as long as i'm going forward that's the most important piece and in math class i really try and teach that skill like what pieces do you have what can you figure out why don't you just start writing down what you know, get started somewhere and then you don't really know where that'll take you, but you got to just jump in and get started. And, and in, in shop class, I think it's very much the same. You know, plans are essential, but you don't even really know what to start designing and planning until you actually touch something and start putting a few things together. So do you think it's easier? Well, I mean, just, just from watching your students. And so I'm asking you to pull from some data that is kind of in the back in the back of your mind there. Do you think it's easier for students to jump right in in, a sh- in your shop and engineering classes than it is to jump right in with a math class? And why do you think, if, if there is a difference, why do you think that is? I think initially in one of my shop classes, kids are scared to jump in. I mean, really the first eight years of schooling has taught them to sit down, be quiet, wait till the ditto's handed out, and then do what you're told. And then they asked me a question like, well, do you think, how would you build this? I'm like, I don't know. Why don't you go out there and try? So I really push them out in the shop to kind of experiment safely and to really take risks and to make mistakes. I mean, the only thing they're wasting is a little bit of scrap wood. So there's really nothing wasted. I think that risk taking is fundamental. I think it's hard to start, but after a little bit of time, they just get an idea and they want to go out and they want to start tinkering and playing and building it. I think if you take those classes first and then a high level math class, then you are actually more able just to jump in and like, well, I don't know how to solve this, but I'm going to jump in and see what I can figure out, what I can solve, and then start putting pieces together to solve math problems. Have you ever had kids take your engineering class first and then your math class? Like, does that ever happen or is it usually the other way around? Oh, no, I, all different configurations. A lot of kids take my engineering class all four years of high school. So, you know, a lot of kids, actually, I believe the majority of people really love to make things. So a lot of kids take my class every year and then maybe a math class or two in between those years of making stuff. And and I don't really think it matters what you make, whether you're working on cars or working in the kitchen or writing poetry or making wood projects. I think it's just a human nature to want to design and and make stuff. I was just curious, though, with that question, 
do you notice a difference in the experimentation behaviors in a, in a math class if they take the engineering first versus if they come in from somewhere else? Yeah, absolutely. The more they've been able to experiment in other settings, the more they're willing to try in math class. Does that translate into a deeper understanding in math, do you think? Yeah, yes, I, uh, without a doubt. I would say, you know, if your goal is to figure it out, you have to have a deeper understanding. If your goal is just to get the right answer so you can get credit, <laughs> there's, you know, really zero understanding. My wife is also a teacher, and her least favorite thing that students ask her is what I have to do to pass the test. Right. <laughs> she always gets that every year. But I've been fortunate. I, most of my time in, in the classroom has been actually in our business, and we don't do that. I mean, we're what we do is actually sounds very similar to your shop class where students are doing projects. It's not on a long-term scale. It's usually a little shorter, but the learning is fundamentally from a tinkering perspective. So they're not, there's not this heavy-handed, you know, top-down, you know, this is how you have to do this. You know, we fire hose them with just enough information that their heads are spinning by the end of the first day. And so when they come in the second day and we say, hey, here's this challenge, we just step out of the way and they jump right in. But I always notice there's a couple of them that hang back a little bit that are a little less willing to experiment and they're usually the ones you have to hold their hands a little bit more but the ones that just jump right in i mean they're making a mess they're breaking stuff you know the wires you know are are always getting put in the wrong place but man they're trying stuff and somewhere along the way they just figure it out like it just something clicks and i love to watch that process and it's very validating to hear you say what you're saying about you know teaching in the engineering the experimentation behaviors and how that translates into math. Because I, I have wondered, you know, does that really translate across? You know, if they if they experiment in, you know, a hands-on making class, does that mean they're going to be more willing to experiment in a more academic setting? Yeah, I, I would have to say without a doubt, yes, from, from my experience of teaching 20 years of math. I mean, the, the, you know, if you set your mind to anything, you're going to be able to solve it, right? I mean, it, it really doesn't matter whether it's, designing and building a house or if it's a small project and the the real important thing for kids to take away from school is this ability that yes i can figure it out i just need to put my head down and just keep working at it and, and the question is how do you teach that and there has to be a lot of fun involved as well so i, I think this idea of tinkering is really essential across the board in academics and success in college and success in career if you want to just do what you're told those jobs are gone if you just want to fill out that handout that might have worked in the 50s as far as a career track goes but anything that could be done by a machine is done by a machine so you have to have creativity today and originality and this ability to kind of jump in and figure things out Wow. Well, you you just touched on how we normally end the podcast. We're getting down to the end of our timing here. And so I want to ask you uh, two questions. The first one is that you've already touched on is in this age with all the digital tools, you know, so we do have robots, we have uh, servers where you can program in algorithms and they can look semi-intelligent. What does it mean to be educated in that environment now? I mean, I, I think being educated means being able to jump in and solve whatever you want to solve, whether it's building a project, solving a math test, getting into college. All of those are very complex problems. And being able to do any of them, you have to do more than what you're told. You really have to use initiative. You have to show grit. 
You need to use a lot of creativity and imagination. And most importantly, you kind of have to be passionate about what you're doing because all of those things take so much time and dedication that it, if you view it as time on the job, it won't really ever get done. But if you view it as like, this is what I love to do, this is what I want to do, then all that time is time well spent. Excellent. Well, the last question we, we ask is more of a philosophical question, so you can uh, get your your academic thinking on, or, or maybe you want to draw from your engineering class for this one, but what is the purpose of an education? Why do we, why do we educate kids? I mean, you're a teacher. Why do we do this? I, I think the number one purpose of education is to inspire kids. If you can inspire kids and show them that the skills that they could acquire in life and in your class are useful, then everything will come together. If kids are inspired, everything will work. Wow. I like that. That's a fantastic answer. And I think we're just going to wrap it right there. Thank you, Jonathan, for giving us your perspective on the relationship between math and hands-on education. And if our uh, listeners are interested in reaching out and learning more about you, what's the best way for them to do that? You could email me. Uh, probably the easiest email to remember is jonathan at topsaw.com. So jonathan at topsaw.com. And thank you, Steve. I had a fantastic time talking to you and look forward to talking more. Excellent. Thank you, Jonathan. Great. Thank you. I know I say this every week, but it's true every week. I just loved this interview with Jonathan. He's one of the most interesting guests we've ever had on the podcast because he teaches both a core subject, math, as well as shop class, and his insights are priceless. If your school doesn't offer shop class, but you would like your kids to be exposed to more critical problem solving, you need to know about Inventor Camp. This year, we'll be offering Inventor Camp in Southern California, Western North Carolina, Atlanta, and Orlando. To keep your kids from getting behind, go to ttinvent.com, that's T-T-I-N-V-E-N-T.com, and sign up for Inventor Camp. We're preparing kids for the innovation economy. <laughs>